Well, good morning. Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. So while we're turning there, let me just say thank you. It's, uh, it's an honor to be here. And we're always glad to be home with our home church and our church family. And we thank you for all your prayers and support while we're away in Charlotte and we're working through seminary and trying to follow the Lord in Charlotte. <laughs> so, and also, excuse me, and I'm sorry if I sound a little gross up here. Just bear with me, please. <laughs> we'll make it through. Oh, man. So Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to read verses 17 through 24, and then we're going to actually jump down to verse 28. And so what Paul is doing here is he's laying out in verses 17 through 24 that when you come to Christ, you're a new creation there's an old way of life, which is then given over to a new way of life. And then he gives a list of commands. And so we go, because we have a new way of life in Christ, and we're going to look specifically at verse 28 and how we apply this to our work. And so let me start reading in Ephesians 4, verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, and the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And then skipping down to verse 28. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with the one who has need. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray that by your Spirit you will be with us in this time as we dive into your Word. Lord, would you work in our hearts would you bring us to Christ? Would you show us how to live in a new and transformed way? Lord, I pray that by your spirit you would use my weakness and even my nervousness for your glory and for your kingdom. And in the name of Christ, we pray these things. Amen. Do you ever wonder, where does the time go? It's a question that we often ask. And if we think about it, it's said that the average full-time working person in America works 47 hours a week. And so usually work Monday to Friday. Well, if you think Monday to Friday, that's about 8 to 6. Okay, 8 to 6. Well, how many hours of the day do you have left after that? Maybe 4, maybe 6, maybe you're a night owl, I don't know. Either way you look at it, where does the time go? Oftentimes it goes to your work. That's what you do for the majority of your time. So it seems to me 
the Bible would have something to say about how we work, about how we spend our time working. But all too often, we kind of leave our work. We leave our work out here, and then we come to church on Sundays, and we're a Christian on Sundays. Then we leave our work out here, and then we come to church on Sundays. It's also separated. If we're working like this, then whatever we see in the world is determining how we work and what we work for. And what does the world say about work? It says you just got to get money. We need money above all else. We need riches. It says you need to grow up. You need to go to school. You make really good grades. So then you can get into a good college. And then you build your resume. Make yourself look good. And then you get a job. And then finally you make money. And then you get more of that money. And then you finally live and be comfortable. If I just had a little more money... I could be secure. I could be in control. Everything will be okay. But what if God is calling you to something more than being comfortable? That's a scary thought. But what if God intends for us to have something much, much greater than just being comfortable and being secure? What if our so-called secular work that we do during the week was also transformed by our spiritual life in Christ? Or what if your ordinary job as a teacher, a mechanic, a banker, an engineer, whatever it is, what if that had a transformed motivation for why you do what you do? You see, today, through these passages and the working of the Spirit, I think that God is changing our goals, changing what we're looking to do in our lives. He wants our work to be characterized by the new life that we have in Christ. And so God is calling you to truly live, not just begrudgingly make it to the weekend every week. You see, because Christ transformed your life, you must pursue a free, faith-filled life of working and giving to the glory of God. And so let's begin by building our foundation. Let's put our, put our passage, verse 28, in the proper context. See, your new faith-filled life of working and giving, it's not going to earn your way to heaven. I'm sure you've heard this many a time, but this is not legalism through self-justifying works. Paul lays all of this out in the beginning chapters of Ephesians. See, the Bible isn't saying you must do this to be saved. No, God is saying because you have been saved, because you have been set free in Christ, then put off the old self. Put off the old way of living. Run from it. And instead, put on Christ. Remember verses 22 through 24 where he says, In reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So what is this? This isn't legalism. This is freedom. This is freedom from hopeless striving, freedom from striving and hoping that you'll be fulfilled in things that will never actually fulfill you. You see, excuse me, faith frees you from the shackles of the old way of living. It frees you from the slavery of sin. It frees you from trying to look good in front of others by having money and being in control and being secure through faith in Christ and walking in newness of the new self 
you have freedom. So Paul is saying, because of what Christ has done in and for you, now live a transformed life of faith. Because of the wonderful things God has done in and for you, put off the old way of living, put on the new way of living, even at your job during the week. In this way, your transformed life carries over into a transformed work. And so, now that we have our context, we'll jump down to verse 28, where Paul is saying, now in the new way of living, pursue these things. And he basically lays out three steps that we are to take to work in a transformed way. And so first, to live a transformed life and work in this context, you must pursue absolute trust in your God. And then second, to live a transformed life, you must pursue good work for the kingdom of Christ. And third, to live a transformed life, you must pursue getting for the sake of giving. And so let's start first. First, with to live a transformed life, you must pursue absolute trust in your God. Look at verse 28. He who steals must steal no longer. Now, obviously, the question we have to ask is, what exactly does this have to do with trusting in your God? We have to look at what stealing really is in order to reach this conclusion, because we know, okay, the Eighth Commandment, thou shall not steal. We got that. We know if it's in the Ten Commandments, it's probably part of the old way of living that needs to be done with, and we need to walk in the new way of living. We have to understand something about the nature of stealing. You see, John Calvin summarizes it, and he says that every type of action by which you take something from others is considered stealing. So what about our taxes? Jesus says, render to Caesar's what is Caesar's. In other words, give to the government what the government asks. This can be a hard command to follow, but if it's any type of action, or what about how you work? You can even steal from your boss if you're working and then your boss leaves and you decide, man, I need a break. I'm going to chill on the clock for about 30 minutes and take me a nice little nap. Well, you're taking something from your boss that is rightfully theirs. You see, this, this stealing, it comes out in the smallest of ways. You know, we're in seminary and so when you're in seminary, there's just not a lot of time for free time and hobbies and all of this kind of stuff. But I do like to watch the Clemson football games. That is just, go Tigers, I love watching the football games. And I've been, I work on this sermon a while back, and so I'm thinking, you know, I, I enjoy watching these games. I really need a break. I, I really need a hobby. I need something that I enjoy. But then, like I said, we're in seminary, so we're not exactly living it up large up there in Charlotte. And so we don't have cable, which means I don't get the Clemson football games. So what do I do? I'm like, hey, you know what? I really need to watch these games. I just get over on my laptop. I can find them if I look hard enough. So there I am streaming these games for free, not paying anything for it. But why? Because I need it. I need to have some kind of rest. I need to have some kind of fun. I deserve that, don't I? I need that rest. And then I started studying for this sermon and any type of action by which you take something from others keeps ringing in the back of my head. And I'm thinking, oh, no. How do I get up and preach about this? <laughs> so I thought about it, and I thought, why, 
why did I feel like I needed to be able to watch these games without paying for it? Well, it sounds ridiculous, but it was because, well, if I don't have this to, to enjoy and this to rest, I'm really not going to be okay. It sounds ridiculous, but to me it was like, I just need this one thing. But what was I not doing? I was not trusting that God can provide rest. I was not trusting that God can provide the good things of life, enjoyable things in life. What I was saying was, I don't trust that God's really going to do this, so what do I have to do? i got to steal to make sure that I get this. Like I said, it comes out in the smallest of ways, but what it shows us is that stealing comes from a lack of faith. We're most tempted to steal when we're most in need. When you're in a hole and you just can't seem to get enough money to pay for the bills, that's when you're going to be tempted to steal. That's why one pastor puts it this way. He says, the craving for things which drive us to steal, or in other words, the temptation and that drive to take something, it comes from unbelief in the promises of God. You see, God makes us promises, but we don't really believe them. We know he says them in his word, but we don't take them to heart and live with them. But stealing is overcome by trusting in your God. Turn with me to Hebrews. I want us to look at Hebrews 13 because we know we need to believe these promises. We know we need to not steal, but God shows us how to do it. Hebrews chapter 13 Verses 5 through 6. Starting in verse 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. And so we stop there. He says, being content with what you have. Which means if you're content, you're probably not stealing. And then he says, okay, so how do we be content with what we have? For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Wow, that's how we can be content, because our God is with us. Verse 6, so that we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? You see, the Lord your God promises to be with you. When you believe in Christ, you are God's child. We just sung that. You are God's child. He loves you so much He gave his only son for you. You were stuck in the slavery of your own sin. You did it. You sinned against your God. And what does he do? He sends his only son. And his only son says, I want to do this because I love my sheep. And I want to bring them into the fold of God. If God is able and willing to save us from our sin, to send his son How much more able and willing do you think he is to provide for you and your family? He's able. He's willing. He will never leave you nor forsake you. And so if we want to overcome stealing, we got to trust these promises. we we got to lay hold of these promises and lean on them and trust them, take them into our heart. Even when all our circumstances seem like they're saying, this is never going to be true. God is true. God is powerful and God is good. And so, to live a transformed life, you must pursue an absolute trust 
in your God. And in doing this, you're putting off the old way of living, which is stealing. And so if you put off the old, you need to put on the new. And what is the new? The new way of living is working. And so we go to point number two, to live a transformed life. You must pursue good kingdom work. Back to Ephesians 4, 28. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. Because you have faith in the promises of God, then you're no longer stealing and then you start working. See, God commands that we labor or work, and then we're all thinking, oh boy, here we go. To see, we need to truly think about this and realize that work in and of itself is not a curse. Work is a God-ordained gift. The ability and the command to work both come from your being made in the image of God. You remember when we read verse 24? And to put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. You see, when you come to Christ, you're being restored to the fullness of the image of God. You're being made into the, the, the perfect image of God who is Jesus Christ. You are being sanctified. And in imaging God, then, what does God do? He worked for six days and rested on the seventh. And so what are you to do? To work six days and rest on the seventh. From the very beginning, God intended for humans to be working. Go back to Genesis, and let's look at Genesis chapter 1. I want us to read this verse to remind us that God intends for us to be working. Genesis chapter 1, we're going to read verse 28. God is talking to Adam and Eve, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. See, God gave Adam and Eve a command, a commission. He said, go out. The earth, God put man and woman over the earth and he said, go out and develop it. Go out, take the, the, the Garden of Eden and subdue all the earth. Bring all the earth to glorify God. He said, go fill it. Go out and multiply he said, go fill the earth with art and architecture and music and culture and business and all of these things and bring it all to God's glory. Brothers and sisters, this was before the fall into sin. This was what God intended from the very beginning. This is what you are created to do in following Adam and Eve. You're created to be an ambassador for God's kingdom, to bring every single area of life under God's control and God's rule. But we know that sin has made work hard. It's toilsome. It's a labor. You can sit at a desk all day or working in a factory, whatever you may be doing. It can be monotonous. It can be hard. It can be difficult. You know something comforting? Jesus felt that too. Jesus was here. He was a human on earth, 100% God, 100% man. His father was a carpenter. He knew work. He knows. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. Jesus knows. You know what's even better? He's coming back one day. He's coming back. 
He's taking his people to be with him. He's restoring all of creation. And he's saying, let's work to the glory of God. And so right now, until that time comes, we're called to persevere in faith, to trust our God, to work to the glory of God. In Christ, you're restored to the image of God. In Christ, you have the same purpose as Adam and Eve to work and to bring all of creation to glorify God. And so I do... As we come to this point, I want to stop and give almost, I guess, some qualifiers because there are some people who are here who we know, who we love, who may not be able to work. What if you have a disability? You see, when Paul is talking about work in this way, he contrasts it with laziness. He doesn't contrast it with disability. You see, God isn't saying, be, feel guilty because you've been sick or hurt or whatever it may be. You know, think back to Genesis 1. Did, uh, did Adam and Eve make a salary? No. You see, working doesn't mean we have to make money. We don't have to make a salary to love God and love others. We do all kinds of work for God's kingdom. You see, God intends to use us and he puts us in situations with may, which may be hard, and we think, well, now I can't do anything for God. But God says, you're in this situation because I want to use you in this situation to do good kingdom work. Be faithful with where God has put you, because for some reason, that's where God has put you. And so use those gifts to love God and to love others. And so we know we're commanded to work, which doesn't necessarily mean making a salary, but what kind of work is it? Back in Ephesians 4:28, he says, performing with his own hands what is good. And so it's a good work. Other translations will say an honest work. It's a good, God-pleasing, honest work that doesn't involve stealing from others. If we're not stealing, but we are working, then our work shouldn't involve stealing either. And so we do honest and good work in anything. If as long as it's not calling you, making you sin, you can do honest and good work doing anything. Absolutely anything. Don't miss this. You can do honest and good work by being the best stay-at-home parent that you can be. Remember Genesis 1? Fill the earth, multiply. You're doing kingdom work. You're giving. You're working to the glory of God. Remember, nobody said you had to make a salary to serve God. But we know some types of work do call us to sin. And so how, if you're stuck in a situation where your boss is making your boss or your job or whatever it may be is bringing you to do things that are against God's will, that are sinning, then what do you do? Well, each person has to test their own conscience, test their own job to see if it's good and pleasing to God. And if it's not, how are you going to step out of that? Nobody wants to say, no, I'm not doing that, and then get fired, and then have to go home to their family and say, we might be in trouble, I don't have a job. So how would you do that? Through faith, through trusting in God. Just like with stealing, you gotta hold on to those promises of God that he is for you, that he is with you, that you are his child. He's not gonna let you go. And so again, where does this bring us back? To freedom. Faith in Christ brings freedom. You aren't stuck in a horrible and unethical job because you're free in Christ to take a risk and know that God will provide. 
and he will be with you. That is doing an honest and good work. And so third, to live a transformed life, you must pursue getting for the sake of giving. Back to Ephesians 4. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. By faith, work so that you can give. Work to get to give. This has been stuck in my head, and it's so funny because you know where I heard that for the first time? It's this really great pastor. He loves the Word of God. You may have heard, heard of him. His name is David Roundtree. <laughs> it was like seven years ago. He preached a sermon somewhere on this, and he said, work to get to give. And that just implanted in my brain. I've never been able to forget it. Work to get to give. You see, this is, this is why we work hard. This is why we get money and riches. It's so we can work to get to give, so that we can help others in need. The American dream, we love to talk about it, but oftentimes it's about getting for ourselves. It tells you you got to work to get rich so that you can be happy, or that so you'll look good, or so you'll be secure and comfortable. So much of our culture, we just pound it in on ourselves that we have to climb the ladder, make more money, have a bigger house, have better cars, be able to travel more, be able to do all these things, be able to be comfortable. We tell ourselves we have to do this because we think it's going to be enough. This will finally fulfill us. This will bring us what we need. It's never enough. It won't be enough. It can't be enough. Why? Because Christ has to fill that hole. You don't, have a, you don't, you don't know your true meaning and purpose until you know Christ. Because you're born in the image of God. Sin distorts that image of God in you. And so until you come to Christ and you start walking in the newness of life, you can't find your true purpose because your true purpose is found in doing what you were created to do. And what you were created to do is work to the glory of God, to serve Christ your King, to be a part of God's people and God's family. He wants to use you. You see, He wants to use you by making you other-centered. When you work to get to give, you're thinking of others with your riches, and then all of a sudden you have a real reason to climb the ladder. You have a real reason to want to make money. And so it's not wrong, of course, to take a better job, to move for another job, to take a promotion. You actually have a real reason for it if you're working to get to give. That's a real purpose. That's something worth being a part of. You're working for God so that he can use you to take care of those in need. And that's why the pastor John Piper says, working like this takes your whole life, even your secular job, and turns it into a work of grace. You see, the Father gives you blessings and riches so that you can generously give. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. He lays this out for us in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verses 17 through 19. He says, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly surprised them, supplies them with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, 
Sound familiar? To be rich in good works. Sound familiar? To be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. God gives you blessings and riches so that he is able to use you in the lives of others. When you have much, give much. Don't do it to look good. Don't do it to get praises from other people. Do it for the glory of God. Remember, Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. Don't hold on to those earthly treasures that are right here for a short time. Be content with what you have. Trust in the promises of God. And when you do, he works in you to be able to generously give to anyone that is in need. But of course, that doesn't mean you can only give if you have a lot. I, I want us to remember this story. It comes from Mark chapter 12. I love this story so much. Jesus is sitting. He's sitting and his disciples are around. And there's, there's people coming and they're putting money in an offering plate, basically. And so... People come by who are rich and have a lot of money and they come by and they put it in. Somebody comes by and they're rich and they have a lot of money and they come by and they put it in. And then Jesus is sitting there with his disciples and this poor widow comes up and she quietly and humbly puts in what would amount to two little pennies. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, this woman has given more than all the rich men because she gave of all that she had. You see, this isn't about money. This isn't about how much you earn. This isn't about even if you earn. It's about giving of the resources that God has given you, no matter how big or how small. Moms, dads, children, all of you who feel like you have nothing to give, God sees, God knows. He sees you giving when you've literally got nothing left. He's there. He's in it. He's with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. You sacrifice so much for your kids and your loved ones and for others, and you feel like you have nothing to give, but God uses that nothing. This is the God who took two fish and 12 loaves and turned it into feeding 5,000 people. Your insignificant little gift, God can use however he pleases. And so keep sacrificially loving. Keep giving. You're laying up heavenly treasures. And finally, there's the practical question of who do we give to? There's a lot of people in need. And it says to give to anyone who is in need. Galatians 6.10 God tells you to give to everyone as you have the opportunity, and especially those of the household of faith. To look first to your brothers and sisters in Christ who are right here in your congregation. You see, oftentimes, how does God provide for his people who step out in faith? Through his church, through his people. And so, maybe you're on the other side of that, and maybe you need help. You have to turn to the church for help. There's a theologian named Charles Hodges, and he says, No one is entitled to be supported by others who is able to support himself, but those who cannot work are entitled to aid because God cares for the oppressed, for the poor, for the lowly, for the hurting. They're entitled to aid. And so if you are somebody who needs help, come to the church. Come to God's people. If you don't come to God's people, 
You're keeping the bride of Christ from doing what she's called to do. Your neediness is an opportunity for God's glory to be made known. That's a beautiful thing, not a burdensome thing. God wants to use you through your neediness even. And so look to the church and give to your people. And then secondly, look to anyone else that's in need. There's a dying world out there. The world needs the church. People of God, there's people out there who need you. When you give with a radically generous heart, it's a light to the rest of the world to say, why are those people giving like that? Why do they love like that? And what's the answer? Only because we know the love of Father, Son, and Spirit. And so go be a light in this world. Give with a radically generous heart. And so to live a transformed life, we pursue an absolute trust in our God. We pursue good work for the kingdom of Christ. And we pursue getting for the sake of getting, of giving. Oh, that messed that one up. <laughs> Let your whole life be characterized by the grace that you have found in Jesus Christ. And so, do you know this Christ who forgives you of your sins and sends you out to be a part of his kingdom? Do you know this Christ who loves you and who will always provide for you? If you don't, run to Jesus today. Make today be the day that you turn from your sins and you run to Christ and you trust in the promises that he gives you that he will provide for your salvation. Don't wait. Do it today and walk in the newness of a transformed life today. And then Christian brothers and sisters, have you fallen short? Did you watch Clemson games like me online? If so, run to Jesus. Have you lived for yourself? Have you refused to ask for help? Run to Jesus. He stands ready and able to save you. We're about to come to the Lord's Supper, which I love so much. We get to commune with Christ and spiritually our Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings us to be with Jesus Christ our Lord. And so take this time of communing with brothers and sisters and with communing with your God to say, I'm going to live for Jesus Christ. I'm going to make I'm going to rededicate myself to living for Jesus Christ in a transformed new way of life with the body and the blood of Christ right there before me, reminding me Jesus is just as real as this blood, as this wine, and this bread. And he is here with us, and he will never leave us or forsake us. And so by the power of Christ and the guiding of the Spirit, let's go out. Let's live a free and faith-filled life of working and giving to the glory of God. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promises. And thank you for your Holy Spirit who speaks to us and guides us and convicts us of sin. Lord, would you use that now and use this word and use this time to bring us to Christ. Show us our Savior. Show us who you are that we may worship you and walk in the newness of life. And we pray this in his name. Amen.